Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name is Amy, and together with my husband, Johnny, we lead the church here in Nottingham, England. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. And if we can help you in any way at all, feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. Well, as every one of us will now have already become aware, on May the 25th, a 46-year-old black man, George Floyd, a native of Minneapolis, Minnesota, was killed by the police. Floyd was initially approached by police who suspected him of using a forged $20 bill. A longtime friend, Morris Lester Hall, said in a statement to the New York Times these words, He was, from the beginning, trying in his humblest form to show he was not resisting in no form or way. He went on, I could hear him pleading, please, officer, what's all this for? And despite this, after being handcuffed, Floyd was forced to lie in his front, his face pressed against the street with an officer's knee on his neck. It remained there for over nine minutes, and during that time, Floyd died. George Floyd's death has sparked riots across the United States, as well as peaceful demonstrations. But the impact of his death has actually been felt all across the world. There have been demonstrations in this country. There's one today in our city under the Black Lives Matter banner, as many are personally touched by the events in the USA. Indeed, it's exposed. These events have exposed and revealed the reality and the pain of racism in our own nation, in our own city, and in our own lives. We've all been reminded that this kind of injustice doesn't exist out there in some far-off place that doesn't look like this place, but in fact it exists all around us and indeed within us. The change, the sort of proportion of change that's come through George Floyd's death caused his own daughter, Gianna, sitting on his close friend Stephen Jackson's shoulders to look at the crowds and exclaim, Daddy, changed the world. It's amazing, isn't it, how clearly children are sometimes able to see things. God gives them a clarity in certain moments, so they're able to express and describe complex things in simple ways. Here's what my friend Charlie Blythe, who's a member of Trinity, said. Charlie is seven. I just don't get it. We're all the same. And that man, well, he had a dream. He told everyone. Didn't they listen? The truth is, of course, that when it comes to race, when it comes to injustice of any kind, we haven't always been listening. I haven't always listened. One of the things I've become, even in the last couple of days, awake to and aware of again is just how many opportunities I've been afforded in my life because of my status Uh, because I was born into the family I was born into, because I've always had some kind of middle-class background, a privilege that has come with it. I've had a life of almost limitless opportunity. I've, I've, I've struggled, I've suffered for sure. We all have in some ways. And yet, I haven't struggled to do basic things in the ways that so many people have to. I haven't had to face the barriers of poverty and oppression haven't received or come against prejudice every day. 
It's impossible for any of us to fully comprehend the events that we're witnessing, let alone to articulate all that we might want to say as the church to these issues of racial injustice and just broader injustice in our society. And certainly that's not my aim today. But I do want to offer in the next while... Uh, a simple framework which I hope will begin to enable us to plot a response as the church more broadly, but certainly as Trinity Church, as we navigate the days, the weeks, the months, and as Amy said, the years to come, and as we seek to grow in our response to these events. And we're going to be looking at this uh, same theme as we look through Luke's gospel over the coming weeks. And here's what we read in Luke's gospel, or here's rather what we read. Jesus Returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. The the context in Luke's gospel is that Jesus has arrived on the scene. We've seen him journey through the wilderness after arriving uh, in the most miraculous way as the fulfillment of the prophetic promise in the Old Testament. And he arrives to a people who are in deep pain. They knew what it was to be oppressed Indeed, they spent generations under oppression from subsequent empires, empire after empire, with their boot, if you like, on their neck. They'd known what it was to be under weighty oppression. They'd suffered injustice after injustice from nation after nation who had come and overlooked them. And despite these promises that were given in the Old Testament from the prophets, they'd waited over 400 years since the Old Testament promises uh, were given. Over 400 years and all they'd known was silence. They were crying out, waiting for God to move among them. This is a people longing for justice. This is a people looking for God's kingdom to come. This is a people for, uh, who, who are waiting, who are hoping, who are hurting, who are crying out in lament. And at this moment, a young prophet arrives from Nazareth. And having spent, as I said, an extended period in preparation, 30 years plus, a time in the wilderness, he has this message on his lips. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As his inaugural sermon, Jesus picks a text from the Old Testament which is particularly positioned as a justice promise. It is taken from Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and it describes Israel's future. Isaiah's looking into the future of God's people, and he's saying the future looks like jubilee promises being fulfilled. It looks like a year of jubilee. Now, for those who aren't familiar with the the year of jubilee, this is what we read in Leviticus 25, Verses 10 through 13, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family, property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. 
in this year of Jubilee, everyone is, re- is to return to their own property. This moment of Jubilee, as Leviticus says, was a moment. It, it, used to t- it was to take place on the 50th year. And every 50th year, it was to be marked by people being released from debt or, or slavery, freed from oppression. And they were to return to the land uh, of their, that they owned, that their family had owned. So if they'd become indebted or impoverished, it would be like a refresh, a restart for the culture. It, it was a moment to bring about a new justice. It was described by liberty, by homecoming. Repentance, if you like, by restoration, by recovery, by restitution, and by healing. This was a moment coded into the life of Israel, uh, which was to manifest justice among them. And in choosing that scripture as his preaching text, Jesus was making quite a profound and weighty point. He was saying everything about the shape that he wanted his kingdom to take His kingdom was to be one of justice. He was the one bringing the jubilee. Jesus had a justice agenda. Let me say that again. Jesus had a justice agenda. And justice was what people who were hearing him were crying out for, as I've said. It's what they wanted and they needed more than anything else. This was what Jesus' kingdom was all about. This is what Jesus' kingdom is all about. His kingdom was never intended to be described or perceived as merely spiritual, some reality, some kind of heavenly, floaty, ethereal, abstract reality that didn't touch earth. No, the Jewish expectation and indeed Jesus' program was all about earth. It was all about uh, a day When at the end of time, or indeed as we see breaking into time itself, not where where good people will be snatched away from the evil earth, but that God's heavenly reality, God's perfect, good, just, righteous, pure, holy reality would come and overcome and overtake the broken earth, where heaven would touch earth, where the two realities which were at this point interlocking would be united And Jesus' own body, uh, described by his full sonship to the Father and his full humanity, were, if you like, the, the foretaste, the sign of what it looked like when heaven touched earth. And what it looked like was compassion and justice and restoration and healing and hope and life. That's the meaning of the Lord's Prayer. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're not saying God snatch us away, would you? We're saying, no, Lord, let your reality, your heavenly reality come to earth, rain down upon us. And this is what the year of Jubilee was to prefigure. It was to point to the final Jubilee, the moment when God would make all things new, when he would make everything right, as we now know with the return of his son to the earth, to complete the kingdom work that he began in his life, his death, his resurrection. And what Jesus is saying here at the beginning in Luke 4 is, I've begun this work. In fact, he says this today, verse 21, the scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. It's begun. Jubilee has come. He's bringing his kingdom. He is the king. And in his kingdom, there's no unjust killing. There's no racism. Children are not abused or mistreated. The poor are not downtrodden and oppressed. Unjust 
systems and structures are not allowed to perpetuate inequality. That's what his kingdom looks like. And so the question for us as the church is we live in the time between the times, living in the tension of the fact that the kingdom has come and yet it hasn't fully come. How are we supposed to posture ourselves towards the coming kingdom where righteousness and justice will be at home in the midst of the suffering that we face and that we see? What are the postures of the king's people? The first posture is lament. The first posture is lament. Our first response as people of God is to recognize, not just once a year, not just when something horrific happens, but regularly to return to this posture of lament. To, to recognize that Jesus' kingdom program, though it has begun, has not yet arrived. That the prayer that we pray every day at midday, if you're listening to your pastor, your kingdom come, your will be done, it hasn't been answered and that leads us, that should lead us to a posture of lament. You know, we're not, we, we want to posture ourselves as a church around praise. We never want to stop praising. We never want to stop hoping. And yet the cry of lament is, is not a cry of a people who lack faith. Do you know that? It is a cry of people who have faith. Because it's only people who have faith who say, God, in the midst of what we see, I know that you want for more. I know that your kingdom is about more. And because I believe in the more, so in the moment, I cry out, God, in the absence of the more. I cry out because I know that you long for more. And so I grieve and I mourn. We do this because Jesus' kingdom teaches us that there's more. Jesus' kingdom teaches us that every life matters, that black lives matter, that every person's life is stamped with the indelible mark of the image of God. And when every person or any person is mistreated or oppressed, heaven grieves. And so we grieve. A friend of ours, of this church, Brian Roundsen, put it this way. As Christians, we're called to lament. But we're not allowed to despair. Why? Because even in lament, we recognize that the Jubilee is coming and it will come. Jesus is with us right now, building in the midst of the broken world. He's building a new world. Our first posture, therefore, is to lament. We grieve, but not as those without hope. Secondly, we repent. It's said here, Jesus says, uh, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Euangelion, he's anointed me to proclaim gospel to the poor. And secondly, here we learn what it means to repent. You see, whenever Jesus announced the kingdom in the gospels, it comes across very clearly in the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark. That announcement was accompanied just as I'm preaching to you, the thunder and the lightning are hitting. I hopefully that's God agreeing and affirming what I'm saying. That announcement of the kingdom was accompanied by another statement. Jesus would say, repent and believe. In other words, the announcement of the good news meant for the people of God. It meant that they were called to repent, called to return, called to think through the implications of the kingdom. What might it look like for us today to repent? That's the question I want to ask in uh, the mo these moments. The first thing I think we've seen, and, and we will all agree, is that 
repentance means for us a certain posture of self-examination. That's where we begin. Now is a good time for the church in this country, for us as Trinity Church, to begin examining ourselves, not on our own, but in the light of the Holy Spirit. Prayerfully asking God, Lord, where is it? Where is it that I need to see or hear afresh? But if we only do that, and if we do that without the Holy Spirit, I fear we have too high a view of our own ability to think our way into a new reality. Self-examination alone won't do it. What we also need to do is to take upon ourselves a posture of listening. Now, many years ago, uh, Martin Luther King said these words, Riots are the language of the unheard. Now, hearing this quote, you might think that King was advocating riots. That's far from the truth. Actually, what he was saying here is that where people aren't listened to, where there becomes a voiceless uh, minority or section of society, there will be anger manifest which will spill over. So what we need to do as the people of God in order to enable or as in order that that would not happen is to develop listening ears. We need to listen to one another. That's what repentance looks like. Now, I mentioned earlier what this uh, has looked like for me. And I feel that for me, uh, there's been a greater openness in these days to, to listen to God and to ask a series of questions I just haven't been listen, and, and asking for a while. Lord, where is it that I'm, I'm not open? Where is it my ears have been closed to the cries of the poor, to the cries of injustice, to the cries of the oppressed? And we as a church, as Amy said, are going to be entering into a season where we ask those questions. And we're committed to finding a way forward that meets, uh, that meets the needs of our people where every person can be heard. And as Amy said, where every person is enabled to bring their contribution, because our hope and our dream from the first moment of planting Trinity has been that every person would be able to bring their full contribution. But we know we've got moments, we know we've got uh, journeys, a journey uh, to, to walk before we get there. We know it's going to take time, but we're committed to that destination. That's important to say to you that listening takes courage. Listening isn't easy. <laughs> if it were, we'd all be good at it. It takes the courage not to be defensive. Listening takes the courage to recognize that we've not already got it all sewn up. That actually there are things to learn. That we might have been wrong. I personally, I struggle with that. I struggle. I struggle with being wrong. I think, I think actually I struggle with it more than almost I struggle with anything else. And you're thinking, Johnny, you're so often wrong. How are you, how are you still struggling? I know. I know. I'm a slow learner. Listening takes courage. It also takes humility because, and in this, Jesus is our model, isn't he? His self-emptying love creates a model for us of what humility looks like. As we empty ourselves of our previous knowledge, so we become open to learning new things. We become open to the voices of others. And actually, that creates conditions in which every one of us can learn and grow. As every one of us empties ourselves. So we're enabled to be filled with new longings and new learnings. So we lament, and secondly, we repent, which looks like listening. Thirdly, we lean on the Spirit. I love reading again this text, this Jubilee Scripture. I love how it's all couched in the language of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. 
He says in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. Again, that spirit language. He has anointed me. It's all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we read that Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit. He's anointed by the Spirit. And the work that God has to do in this season to create a new world is the work of the Spirit of God. It's not our work. It is not human work. It is fleshly work. Where justice work becomes human work, it leads to greater oppression. It does not lead to justice. It must always be done through the vision and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we as the church get to model the way forward. What does it look like to us to imagine and begin to work for a better world in the power of the Spirit? We're in Pentecost season. What an opportunity to begin again. To begin again in repentance, but to say, Lord, if we've tried to do this on our own, we're sorry. It must begin with you. It must be about you. He is rebuilding his world through the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we're passive, but it does mean we're dependent. It doesn't mean we're passive. It does mean we're dependent. We can only work for, the just, for justice in the world with his help. Now is the time to lean into the power of the Spirit like never before. To recognize that He is the Creator Spirit. He is the Counseling Spirit. He is the Interceding Spirit. He is the Empowering Spirit. He's the Spirit of Hope. He's the Spirit of Justice. He's the Spirit of Mercy. He is the Spirit of Healing. And this Pentecost church, can we as Trinity agree that we're going to lean into the Spirit of God like never before? That is what we will do. That is who we are. That is who we are as Trinity. Hear me. That is who we are. Finally, we see Jesus. We've talked about how we need to hear. This also begins with seeing. And before we even see one another, we see him. We need to do everything we've talked about up to this point in the light of Christ. Notice the subject of the verbs in Jesus. I have to say, very short sermon. You're thinking to me right now, Johnny, Jesus preaches a sermon that's about six lines long, so maybe seven or eight. How is it you take half an hour? <laughs> He's better than me. What can I say? But look, the, the context, the the um object of all of these verses, of all of these verbs, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from for the prisoners and so on and so forth. It is all about me, but not me being me, but me being Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him. And for us to move forward, the posture we must take is looking to him, seeing him. We talked about listening and we have to have our ears open. That's something that has to take place in our eyes. Church, let me just say this as your pastor. God has been doing something in our eyes with compassion. There has been a work of compassion. And I've said to you already, and I now I believe I'm beginning to understand why. He's causing us to weep because he wants to cleanse our eyes so we might see. See one another, but see the cries of just, injustice. The cries of those who are being oppressed. It all fits together, you know. Everything he's been leading us in, prayer, holiness, compassion, it's all about this, devotion. 
Consecration is all about the kingdom agenda. It's all about what he wants to do to renew and revive the earth. Do you know he's starting with the church? But we can't be distracted from Jesus in these days. We can't have our eyes taken off of ourselves. And let me just speak humbly. But we can't allow ourselves to be taken into any other agenda. But the agenda of seeing his kingdom come. His way. His will. His way. And we have to steward what we're looking at with our eyes. I want to encourage you to steward what you look at. And particularly where it pertains to social media. And can I just say one thing as your pastor. That what social media does, it makes experts of every one of us. But it doesn't empower us to do anything. And so as the gap between what we see and what we're able to actually achieve widens. So we become characterized by despair. But we're to be a people of hope. And it's only when we see not the screen but the sun above us that we become filled, not just with the ability to see the world around us, but to stay hopeful for what's possible in the world around us. Steward your eyes. Steward what you're looking at in these days. You know, we, the secular world pursues a vision of the kingdom, but it seeks to pursue that vision without the king at the center. The church, we only know the vision of the kingdom because we know the king, because we've met the king. For us, worship and justice belong together. It's, we lean, it's as we lean into worship of Jesus that we're inspired and directed into a greater expression of his love and his justice. We're given hope, the direction and the passion to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven we at Trinity will pursue both. Where do we learn to see? It is in worship at the cross. When we worship Christ, we arrive at the cross. We come to the place where a man, our Savior, was unjustly killed. All for our sake. He died the death of the unjust at the hands of the unjust. His life was snuffed out by a powerful empire. He died in our place and for our sake. And his death was the moment where the doors to the kingdom that he himself spoke about in Luke 4 were opened up. And his death can open our eyes again to the power and the, the, the value and the necessity of his manifesto. Can make us again dream uh, God's dreams and fit us to go out and to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy in the midst of the world. And it's this and only this that can bring resurrection hope. And this is what we need in these days. We need resurrection, not insurrection. But our only way forward is as the church to come to the cross of Jesus. None of us knows the way ahead from here. But Jesus has been here before. And if we, his people, will follow him through this moment of death and pain and grief and mourning, we can be assured that there will be a resurrection on the other side where righteousness and justice and peace come together. There will be a day of jubilee. There will be a day of justice in our world. And on that day, every one of us will say, as we look around at God's new creation, Daddy changed the world. Let's pray as Amy joins me. Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed you. 
If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our lives together, so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening. Thank you.